Hello, my name is Adam Eason and welcome to episode 51 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hello hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again in my own highly biased opinion I think I have a gold medal winner of a show lined up for you today. In a short while I'll be sharing with you an interview with my guest Brian Mahoney. Then I'll be looking at the hypnosis in the news stories, examining the media where hypnosis is featured. I'm going to offer up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media and also comment on some of the content of those media stories. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest Brian Mahoney. In a wholly freestyle discussion we shall be exploring what Brian refers to as being a tradesman of hypnosis and his rational results driven perspective to hypnotherapy. We'll round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub and all of whom following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly, I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All of the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode of the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. You can add your thoughts, comments and make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do go and give us a rating, a favourable rating and perhaps even a review at iTunes. I'll be your BFF if you do. Before we crack on today, I just wanted to thank everyone for all of the love that I've received following our 50th edition. The emails, tweets, messages and so on really been gratefully accepted here. I very much appreciate every single one of you who took the time to give me the positive feedback uh, following our 50th edition and for everything I've been attempting to do here with this podcast throughout those 50 editions. First of all, today then is this week's interview. It's with great pleasure that I welcome Brian Mahoney of Boston Hypnosis over in the US. I'd been in contact with some of our former guests recently and uh, asked them if there was anyone they'd recommend or would like to hear on the show. During a recent conversation I had with Jürgen Rasmussen, big pal of the show, he mentioned Brian Mahoney of Boston Hypnosis as someone who he'd really got a huge amount of benefit from talking to and discussing the subject with, learning from. So I got in touch with Brian and was not disappointed. I found Brian's take on all things therapy and hypnosis to be incredibly refreshing and to be excitedly sober, if you'll excuse my oxymoron. For now then, get comfy my friends, turn up the volume, sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview. (music) 
So as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to welcome to Hypnosis Weekly the one and only Brian Mahoney. Brian, welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate that. Um, so, so let's let's find out a little bit about you. Uh, um, tell us, um, um, how did you get into this field? Tell us a little bit about your background and how you've arrived at where you are now. Well, I had been in more traditional business uh, through a lot of the '90s. I was with a startup company, and there was kind of a funny situation. Actually, through that time, I did some. Uh, Tony Robbins stuff, uh, Dale Carnegie, Stephen Covey, some different types of self-development stuff that I found to be really useful. And there was kind of a funny stretch at the end of my stint there where I was managing a small group of people and we had a lot of time on our hands. Uh, I won't bother you, sort of bore you with the background, but it was the kind of thing where, well, we could all just surf the web all day or we could do something more constructive. Yeah. So what I decided to do was start this coaching program where I would teach some of the folks who I was managing some of the skills that I had learned uh, from people like Tony Robbins and you know Dale Carnegie, people like that, um, in kind of this informal way where I'd do some presentation, I'd do some, do some one-on-one coaching. And I was just really happy with the way it went, even with my, at that time, I'm sure, very amateurish presentation of the material. Uh, these folks get some really nice results for themselves, both personally and professionally, I thought. Hmm. So I kind of got the bug a little bit there, I think. So when I left the company, I decided to do some coaching work. And I started doing it, and my first stop for training was uh, with John Grinder, uh, the co-founder of NLP. So I kind of went on this whirlwind of training for a couple of years and eventually found my way to sort of more formal hypnosis. That was a uh, kind of a big sort of turning point. And uh, as opposed to just this sort of lighter side or, you know, the, the NLP stuff. Yeah. And <clears throat> started actually doing um, professional hypnosis at about 2004. I opened my office here in Boston. Great, great. And so, so you know, in that time and and throughout your training, um, um, because you know that's that that's a, a, you know a good number of years to have been in professional practice. How do you uh, you know with regards to hypnosis? Then you know how, how do you define hypnosis? And and you know how did you arrive at that definition? It, you know, it, it, is it the same definition that that, that you've always uh, sort of adhered to? And um, and perhaps you give us an idea of how you explain hypnosis to your clients. You know, this this may not be an answer that fits really <laughs> well for this podcast, but my answer is I don't. When clients yeah, yeah. define hypnosis, my answer is I don't. Uh, I think it's a, kind of a swamp. Yeah. And no matter how I define it, and I could, you know, I could take the the uh, traditional definition. I could take the sociocognitive take. I have no interest in kind of getting into those those types of discussions with a client yeah. uh, just because I don't find it useful. Nice. So what I'll usually say is that it's kind of a swamp. I don't. What I'm a lot more interested in than, you know, is a client in hypnosis or aren't they or how deep are they or anything like that. What I'm really interested in <clears throat> is engaging the part of the mind that's driving the problem. Mm. And, I've done work with people 
and seeing people in deep, deep trance. And the part of the mind that was driving the problem was completely out to lunch. We weren't getting anything done at all in terms of actually getting the problem solved, even though the person may have been having a very interesting or relaxing experience of hypnosis. Mm. I've also seen people on the other end of the spectrum who at the end of the session <clears throat> will say, well, I'm not that sure I was hypnotized. And I'll say, okay, well, how do you feel about your next flight now? And they'll say, wow, really different. Mm. That's what I'm much more interested in than, you know, what, what state the person went into or sort of how to define it. Were, were they hypnotized? Were they not hypnotized? Um, yeah, I just, I find it's, I, I, I don't, I've never gotten any sort of uh, therapeutic mileage out of sure. getting uh, very precise in those definitions. Well, you know, I mean, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, I think that's um, um, re really interesting. I think um, um, f f for me personally, the, the, uh, I tend to, to, to find that the small mileage that I do have in it is simply because, you know, for, for me, I want my expectation or perhaps, you know, my assumption to match that of, of the clients, you know, I, I wouldn't want the client expecting something to happen or expecting some kind of hypnotic experience that perhaps was unlikely to occur as a result of, you know, you know, my take on hypnosis. So, so, but, but I really, you know, it makes a lot of sense, therefore, to, to, to think in terms of, of, of the problem and, and the problem state and going into it. Um, um, that, that really resonates nicely with me. Do, do you think that helps? sort of match up expectations in a way in which I've just described. Yes. <clears throat> what you just described, I completely know what you're talking about. And what I'm doing is I'm kind of out ahead of it because when I, I uh, really have pretty long conversations with people on the phone before I take them on as clients. Uh, yes. And even back as far as when people first come to my website, it's very obvious that I don't work with everyone. And I don't do what most people think of when they think of hypnosis. And I actually bring this up specifically. You know, the sort of stereotype that's in a lot of people's mind is the idea that, oh, the hypnotist, that's the place where you go where this guy makes you go to sleep for a while, and then he gives you some suggestions, and then you wake up and your problem is solved. Yeah. And I tell people that, you know, those types of approaches can be very effective for some people in some situations, but they're very rarely the types of approaches that I take when I work with people. And there's a lot of different types of work that I do. A lot of it involves hypnosis. A lot of it doesn't involve hypnosis at all. A lot of it can fall somewhere in between. So I've already kind of really done my best to get them out of that frame between the website and the phone call before they're even here in the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, 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 I'm, I, I really, really appreciate that and I really appreciate you sharing that because I think that is 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 incredibly important and so useful. Um, um, so 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 in that case, um, I mean, you, you mentioned John Grinder earlier on. Um, can you tell me about some of your some of your major influences in this field? Um, perhaps perhaps some of the books, some of the authors that have taught you the most. Um, perhaps some of the teachers that have been most influential upon you, and and some of the reasons why. Sure. Uh, I would absolutely say I'm a big fan of John Grinder. Yeah. Even though, and this is this is funny, because even though 
most of the stuff, the sort of patterns that I learned from him with the new code and things like that, I was never able to really get them to work all that well. Mm. So it wasn't so much the specific kind of tactical handling session stuff. I think it was more an approach and uh, just a way to sort of look at things and think about things. And a lot of the kind of undermining, undermining, <clears throat> under, underlying um, sort of real respect for the unconscious and the way it works. And I know that on your show you have discussions, you know, well, is there even an unconscious, things like that. I don't know, but I find it's very useful to act as if there is one and to engage people that way because I find that uh, it's, just, it's just a really effective way to approach the work. So, uh, yeah, I really give a big thumbs up for John. And he's also just, um, I find him to be a, a tremendous pleasure to train with. He's just really fun to watch and listen to. He's got a really just different take on things than a lot of people. Yes. So... <clears throat> Uh, I did uh, some training with John. I uh, was very fortunate, I think, that my first formal hypnosis training was with Steve Gilligan, uh, with Milton Erickson. He kind of came out of some of the early NLP folks. Uh, he's another another person who, even though uh, I don't use a lot of the specific tactics that he taught, a lot of the thinking around the unconscious uh, I found to be just really useful, um, particularly as later on I did quite a switch and started training, doing some training with uh, a guy named Jerry Kine on uh, hypnosis uh, and getting into the sort of Elman-based uh, regression work and having the background with Gilligan to kind of inform a bigger picture and not that sort of Jerry, you know, sort of very straightforward, the subconscious mind is a computer ready to be programmed, you know, that, that kind of more uh, very, very sort of straightforward attitude to have done the sort of softer, wider approach Gilligan stuff, uh, I think informed my training with Jerry really well. Funny thing is that the basics of what I learned from Jerry are a lot of what I still apply today. Um, yeah. uh, Jerry, I remember uh, he had an assistant named um, uh, Bob, and they worked together. And Bob would say, "You know, anytime I go to Jerry with a problem with a client, he always says the same thing: find the problem and fix it. Just find the problem and fix it. This, you know, just really straightforward, bare bones kind of uh, kind of attitude." And I find that in a lot of situations, uh, that really plays out well in terms of, you know, good, good, solid, positive results with, uh, with the client. So I really, uh, really enjoyed my training there. Um, beyond that, uh, Steve Parkhill, I think is great. He was, uh, someone who trained with Jerry and went on to do a lot of work with folks with physical issues, especially cancer, um, really big influence. And he's actually a lot of the one who kind of gave me that, uh, attitude of don't worry about the level of trance. You want to engage the part of the person that's that's driving the problem, and a lot of times that doesn't involve doing you know pyramided inductions with you know this that and the other thing. It's much more about getting the kind of the emotional uh, core of the problem. When you can do that, uh, that's when you're really going to be able to get some good good things going. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, 
I hear really wonderful things about um, and and you know f former guests have spoken very highly of 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 a number of those uh, the people that you mentioned there. Um, um, so it's 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 really encouraging to hear, and it's uh, it's really interesting to hear of the the the, the diversity um, as well. Um, you know, I'm really interested to hear because, you know, from, 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 from what I gather and from my own experience of him, that Jerry Kine is quite, quite direct. And then there's, there's, there's some sort of quite, quite contrasting perspectives from what I gather with regards to Stephen Gilligan, um, um and, and, and his training, especially with it being sort of of, of an Ericksonian bent. They are at absolutely opposite ends of the spectrum. I mean, it would it would be hilarious to see both those guys in a room having sitting down to have a talk about hypnosis. <laughs> yes. I mean, they're just there. There's if there's anything shared there, uh, I don't know if I ever heard it. <laughs> but at the yeah. same time, I think that they're both brilliant and very skilled. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that that's coming across definitely. Um. So, so Brian, within the years that you've been working within this field, using hypnosis as you have done, um, and what's been one of the most impressive applications of hypnosis that you've that you've witnessed? Um, I think I'd give uh, three different answers to that question. Yeah, please do. Although, actually, do you mind if I say just one more thing about yeah. the question you asked previously? I just yeah, wanted to please. quickly add that. As you mentioned, I did come from a very diverse background, and it was because of that that I really connected with uh, Jurgen Rasmussen. Uh, I definitely want to give him a sort of shout out as far as my uh, training development, because yeah. he came from a similar, similarly diverse background, and we've had an ongoing relationship for a long time now, uh, and he's kind of led me in a lot of other uh, very positive directions, especially with uh, a lot of the uh, Albert Ellis stuff. Yeah, things that he's come up with on his own as well. Uh, yes. So I just want to just kind of pop that in really quickly. But uh, yeah, in terms of impressive applications, um, I would say uh, the most impressive to me is just the day-to-day -day consistency of being able to help people who have these big, scary problems that they weren't able to solve anywhere else. And just by being patient and having a you know, good number of approaches to choose from, being able to help people from the point where they first call, where they're really very unhappy, uh, to a place where they're saying, wow, this is great. I don't have that problem anymore. Yeah. Now, that would probably be the most uh, impressive thing to me. In terms of sort of single session, I have to say uh, allergy stuff. You know, someone comes in with uh, intense, you know, asthma or, uh, you know, an allergy to nuts or something like that. And then it's just gone after the end of a session or two. Mm. Uh, that, that having seen a couple of those uh, or even uh, a friend of mine just just mentioning uh, the idea of how allergy allergies worked. And I kind of doubted her cat allergy was, you know, really, you know, something that couldn't be resolved. We never even had to do a session around it. It just disappeared. And this friend is a, a biochemist, a PhD from MIT. So for someone sort of that rooted in traditional yeah. science, that was uh, pretty uh, pretty exciting for her. Yeah, wow. Uh, and the other, the other one I have to throw in, just because it was one of the things that really kind of opened my eyes to this work, even though it was just in, such, in some ways just such a small thing, 
was when I, um, I did the training with uh, John Grinder, who uh, I was talking to him casually uh, afterwards, and he did something where he just moved his arm really quickly and kind of put it up near his shoulder, and I felt my arm just absolutely mirror his. Totally, it wasn't something I planned, wasn't something, and so that was like, whoa, there's some stuff going on here that I've never seen or been exposed to before that I think is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I, 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 I could listen to that kind of thing all day, all day, and and, and I, I, I very often get a bit, a bit lost in hearing stuff like that because you know I, I, I love it, and and I love the fact that you doff your cap a little bit to, to the stuff that happens on a day day by day basis as well, um, um within within hypnotherapy consulting rooms, you know. I, the, the, the stuff we're seeing that sometimes I think hypnotherapists can even get a bit blasé about. Um, it, it, truly impressive, truly impressive. Um, you know, um, and I, I've also just got to say, um, um, yes, I agree. And, and I was delighted that you, that you made mention to, to Jürgen there as well. Um, Jürgen, Jürgen's a great, a great friend of this particular show. And, um, um, and it was thanks to him that, that you and I um, ever ever touched base as well. So um, yeah, I just want to uh, uh, acknowledge Jurgen's uh, part in all of this as well. Um, Brian, if you could go back to when you started out, then um, when you started out training, considering um, and and your path as far as hypnotherapist hypnosis professional is concerned, um, you know, knowing the stuff that you know now, um, is there anything you'd do differently? And if so. Perhaps you'd share that. And, and is there any advice the person you are today would give the younger you? Um, and, and, and would you extend that advice to hypnotherapists of today? Well, I trust that everyone kind of finds their own path. Uh, so I think I'd be re a little reluctant to give any sort of formal advice to anyone else. But I would definitely give advice to younger me. Sure. Um, and what I would say to him would be stick with the uh, Ericksonian approaches longer. Really get deeply, deeply immersed in that stuff before moving over to the uh, Elman, Jerry Kine, Steve Parkhill approach. Mm. And, uh, and I remember, actually, I heard uh, Tad James is another guy that I trained with, and I remember he, he recommended this as well, sort of long after um, I had made that decision to train with Jerry. And the reason is, uh, you know, I tend to be very results oriented. You know, I come from a business background. I want to, you know, get get the problem solved absolutely in a way that you're not putting a bandaid on it or whitewashing it or anything like that. But get the problem solved as quickly as possible. Move through, get a good solid solution, and then move on. And with a lot of the Ericksonian stuff, it, I think it can be so much work and so complicated in terms of building these skills and the subtlety of it. And it's just, yeah. it's a lot harder to get good results using an Ericksonian approach than it is using the sort of more Elman based approach where it's pretty much, okay, you know, it's a straight, fairly straightforward learning curve and get up and go and you're, you're able to help people pretty quickly. So I think that that probably, uh, prevented me from uh, going deeply into the, the Ericksonian stuff 
um, as I otherwise would have. Yeah, and there's yeah. a skill set there that, yeah, I've got some familiarity with. I'm, I'm pretty solid, but I don't have that really deep, rich kind of understanding of it that would probably be useful from time to time. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's really interesting to hear. I, I really appreciate your candor there as well, because I think... Um, I'm, you know, it, it's it's quite typical of of many hypnotherapists that that I encounter to to be very you know very much um, a recipient of their own beliefs or their own perspective. You know, and 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 potentially overlook something that might seem a particular way to them. That actually, further down the line, I know there's a whole bunch of stuff that that, that I, for example, turned my nose up at when I was first learning that I wish I hadn't today. Um, I'm, 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 and definitely studying something, you know, with a bit more relish um, I'm, I'm, would would have would have really benefited me in the embryonic stages of my career. Um, so I, I really appreciate you you, you you stating that. Do you mind my asking what those approaches were? Yeah, I mean, um, um, so for example, I um, 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 before before. Um, I wrote my first book. I had a lot of cognitive behavioral stuff pointed in my direction, which I which I, I ignored um, because my my original tutor is somebody that um, was, was 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 really kind of quite quite anti evidence based and quite anti science, for example. And, and and a bit like that was the enemy. Academia was the enemy, and academia was somehow, and researchers were somehow, you know, making our our field worse. And you know, rather perversely and bizarrely, I sort of, you know, I sort of bought into that. You know, I'd invested money, time, belief, and energy in this in this particular trainer. And um, I mean, he's a lovely man. Don't get me wrong, but but I wish I hadn't have overlooked that stuff. It wasn't really until. I was getting some heavy critique of my first book that that I actually started to to to, to have my gaze averted, so to speak, and and start looking at some of those those other other bits. Um, um, however, I may not have approached it with the same perhaps the same verve or the same degree of interest had I not been through the path that I had done, and um, and also I think it makes it a bit more palatable. You know, I think it makes the pill that I ask people to swallow with regards to um, um, my own approach sometimes. If, if, you know, when people have had previous training, it can be a bitter pill to swallow for someone to suddenly start saying, you know, uh, or disputing the unconscious mind or, or conceptualizing hypnosis in, in a different way, you know, conceptualizing it in a way in which I do. Um, I mean, you know, perhaps it, it makes it a bit more of a palatable pill to swallow for people to hear that I went through, you know, a, a decade of that prior to finding where I'm at today. Um, yeah. um, so, I mean, speaking of which, then, um, what, what, what are your thoughts, um, Brian? What are your thoughts about evidence-based approaches to hypnotherapy? Well... <clears throat> It's, it's kind of an interesting term because, you know, the first thing I guess I'd say would be, well, evidence-based anything, absolutely. You yeah. know, I, I want to know what's, what's proven to have worked. And I say that understanding that I understand where a lot of uh, uh, trainers can be coming from when they say, well, no, the problem isn't, 
you know, say with NLP, for example, the problem is with the way these studies have been done and the whole idea of, you know, you can't really measure this stuff because it's also tailored to the client, things like that. I understand yeah. that. Uh, but bottom line, evidence-based approaches, uh, terrific. The thing that I, I guess I don't, there's a few different things. Uh, one, there's a lot of evidence-based, like, okay, if a person uh, is hypnotized and they um, imagine seeing a color red, the actual part of their brain that would respond, if they're actually seeing a color red responds, you know, that, that type of work to me is interesting, but it doesn't, I don't take any a really strong interest in it just because it's not going to help me with my, my 10 o'clock client who's coming in. Right, yeah, uh, yeah. When you say when you say evidence based, uh, I get really curious about well, what evidence based approaches. I know there's some hypnosis and CBT stuff, uh, and it gets into what I'm really curious about your practice. That in the handful of episodes that I've listened to, I don't I don't understand what actually happens when you sit down with a client, the type of work you're doing, and I'd, I'd be very curious to hear that whether it's uh, today or in a future podcast. Just the kind of sort of nuts and bolts of what actually happens. Yeah. Sometimes in with a standard, you know, I'm saying public speaking fear or fear of flying or, you know, maybe a weight client. Uh, in the reading that I've done uh, to try to get an understanding, I, I haven't been able to pick it up yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I have not explained that um, um, within a, within within the podcasts, and um, I would say that. There's no, there's no specific hard and fast or finite answer to that. But what I will do in this particular episode, I will answer that question. Um, um, I'll answer that question in a, in, in a little talky section later on. Um, um, absolutely. And, um, and I'll do my best to give a, a good, diligent response. You know, I think also, you know, I, I really hear you with regards to evidence-based approaches. One of the things that, that, um, that, that we teach for example, on, on some of our more advanced training, is this notion that, um, you know, the, the usefulness of clinical, clinical, um, or, or rather usefulness of evidence-based to clinicians and to direct applications. Um, but also, the one of the things that has to happen with regards to, you know, scientific method, for example, because there's lots of evidence-based approaches which don't have to be wholly scientific necessarily. But for a scientific method, you know, we need to be able to extrapolate very particular variables um, to demonstrate that it's hypnosis that is creating an effect or something along those lines. And the kind of um, situation that those variables can be extrapolated from in, in a trial or in, in a research or a lab um, environment, for example, is very, very different to that which you and I will work in on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, um, 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 within, within our, our clinics, within our consulting rooms, those, that, that environment is going to be very different and the kind of modulating factors, you know, it, it, just the expectancy, the fact that someone has um, 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 invested money in being here and the, the quality of the working alliance, the therapeutic relationship that we have, you know, these are all variables, for example, that could be contributing to, to the success of our therapy, yet are, are potentially not accounted for 
within within a, a more scientific you know type of environment and so it makes a lot of sense for people not just to go you know to, to one strong end of the spectrum and go all science fascist upon the field of hypnotherapy but instead you know find a good balance i think between what's going to feel what's going to feel like i'm being responsible i'm not being too woo here but also what's going to be effective for my client um and what's going to be relevant to to me as a clinician rather than you know just theory or or experimental um um sort of uh, experimental research based approach um which which i think you know heck is something you and i i'm sure could discuss for hours and hours brian um um, I really appreciate what you said there, Brian. We're gonna we're gonna be discussing a few things um, um, in, in a bit more depth later on. But for now, um, we're gonna pause. Where can people go to learn more about your work? To learn more about you, BostonHypnosis.com. BostonHypnosis.com. There'll be a link to <laughs> that website on the uh, uh, on on this particular episode. Uh, page of the hypnosis weekly website um for now thanks very much we'll be right back with brian mahoney in just a short while really enjoyed that interview as i said we'll be back with brian for our professional discussion shortly within that interview brian asked me about the practical components of my own approach which i was going to offer up a brief explanation to in this podcast as i as i hot-headedly said in response to his query then because you know i'm not used to people actually asking me questions back on here on this podcast however brian came up with a better idea off air and um, he offered to ask me the questions that he wanted to ask about how I work with clients as an item for a future episode of the show. And so him and I are going to do that and record at a future date. So um, keep an eye out or, or keep your ears out for that. Um, On to this week's hypnosis in the news then. Um, this week I'm citing um, um, a bunch of recent stories. Um, I read a very enjoyable article just this week on the Research Digest blog of the British Psychological Society entitled 10 of the Most Widely Believed Myths in Psychology. And there's a link to that article over on uh, the Hypnosis Weekly website. And it offers plenty of evidence base that refutes uh, commonly held beliefs in the field of psychology. And I was reading it feeling incredibly smug with myself, um, being aware of plenty of the evidence being cited in the article and got down to myth number nine of the article where the following was written and I will quote number nine point nine neuro-linguistic programming is scientific so um, this is what they're suggesting is a myth and I'll quote it's true that a minority of psychologists are trained in neuro-linguistic programming NLP and advocate its use but it is a serious error to think that NLP is grounded in scientific findings in either psychology or neuroscience. In fact the system which is usually marketed as a way of achieving greater personal success was developed by two self-help gurus in the 1970s who simply made up their own psychological principles after watching psychotherapists working with their clients. 
NLP is full of false claims that sound scientific-ish, such as that we each have a preferred representational system for thinking about the world, and that the best way to influence someone is to mirror their preferred system. A forensic trawl through all the claims made in NLP programs found that the overwhelming majority are piffle. In many contexts, this may be harmless, but in 2013, a charity was called to book for offering NLP-based therapy to traumatised war veterans. And there are some links um, within that quote that I've just read. There are some links there to the forensic trawl that's being mentioned and um, the charity, uh, a news article of the BBC. Um, and, and links to those um, um, articles are over on the Hypnosis Weekly website, this particular episode. I strongly recommend having a read of those links, um, um, in particular the Thomas Witowski um, PDF. Um, One of the major issues that the field of NLP faces, I believe, according to me and my personal stance, my own personal bias, my own personal leaning towards evidence-based practice, is that the field does suffer from a lack of direct supporting evidence. Though it is sometimes claimed that many of the underpinning principles have evidence to support them. However, if you if you go and search for randomized controlled trials testing the very testable techniques of NLP on a research database such as PubMed or PLOS One, for example, there will be slim pickings, certainly very slim compared to hypnotherapy and CBT, for example. However, when this line of thought was posed to one of NLP's co-creators, Richard Bandler, on a BBC interview about NLP, mentioned that NLP was not really designed to be effective in the laboratory, and it was less important to fit in with uh, the formalised psychology field in that way. The interviewer also stated, and I'll quote, I read in my briefings here that neurolinguistic programming is not supported by scientific evidence at all. To which Bandler questions the type of researchers making those claims. He he sort of pits social scientists versus real scientists and and discusses their ability to be able to employ the techniques properly. He suggests that taking a group of 20 people with a fear of elevators up into an elevator shows success rather than being done by a group of scientists in a laboratory who don't really know how to do the technique. There are a number of other criticisms angled at NLP towards the end of that interview, and I've included um, a link to um, a YouTube clip um, of that particular interview over at this episode, um, well worth a listen, um, over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. NLP was similarly and perhaps more comprehensively critiqued by Michael Heap back in 2008, who has published a number of papers about NLP and aspects of NLP. And a good starting place is his NLP Critique website, which, again, I've included a link um, um, for, where you'll also have access to his papers uh, that were published by the Skeptical Intelligencer and the Association for Skeptical Inquiry. They make for very interesting reading. Likewise, one of my favourite sceptic podcasts um, called Skeptoid by Brian Dunning did an episode on NLP, um, um, which um, um, I've included a link to as well. Likewise, there's much more debate and healthy sceptical appraisal to be read and examined online. Lots of what has been said in these critical appraisals online and within the media has been refuted by supporters of NLP. And it's stimulated much debate um, online on forums and in the media. And I know a great many very well respected NLP authors and trainers who are not interested in acceptance from the field of psychology. And again, do not think that NLP is right to be tested in the more formalised clinical environment of research labs, for example. 
I'm not really making a point here about NLP, more about the way in which people perceive it and the way in which it is described uh, within the media. The debate that I tend to offer up is that if you seek to be an evidence-based practitioner, as I do as much as is possible in the hypnotherapy field that I work in, it's really quite tough to defend the use of NLP when there's such a damning lack of evidence to warrant or suggest its use. That said, in the uh, in the previously mentioned interview, you know, Bandler does suggest that NLP is not really to be used as a therapy, as used by a great number of uh, therapists, but more as a way of optimizing individuals. Uh, I'm not sure if that is semantic gains or not, but it does further fuel the debate. I'm not poo-pooing the use of NLP. You know, I, I teach it. I created a board game to help people learn it. I trained with Bandler, Grinder, Diltz, and a number of other prominent trainers, and definitely found much use in uh, much of well, some of what's offered in the field of NLP. I think, however, that the attitude many have about NLP being scientific is probably flawed, um, and that rather than blindly accept it all as fact or as scientific, as is sometimes suggested in media. Um, perhaps we think critically about it if uh, we want to be responsible evidence-based hypnotherapists. Anyway, links to those media stories are listed under this week's podcast entry uh, over on www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Next up, we have this week's professional discussion then. I welcome back Brian Mahoney of Boston Hypnosis. When I asked Brian about what we could discuss um, in this uh, slot today, he was open to pretty much discussing anything. And as I probed uh, him on his approach, he was very practical minded and focused upon the notion of what worked best for him his clients. And Jürgen had said to me, you know, you'll like Brian, he's very rational in his approach. So I thought we'd discuss that. Um, we did not prepare anything, just questioned and prodded Brian a little bit and got some really useful insight into his approach. And I must say, he's the first person to describe hypnosis in a tradesman type of way that I think you'll find very uh, um, um, insightful and fun too. Um, so that's what we discuss here. Here is this week's professional discussion with Brian Mahoney. Enjoy. So I'm rejoined by this week's guest, Brian Mahoney. Brian and I were talking off air and um, um, Brian had been listening to and, and had listened to one of our one of our very first um, uh, Hypnosis Weekly podcasts, uh, the one with James Tripp, where we discussed art versus science, and, um, and 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 a really interesting point that Brian made was and posed this question to me: Well, well what about trade? So, Brian, welcome back. Brian, tell us, what did you mean? What did you mean? And, and just tell us a little bit about, about your, your, your line of inquiry there. Well, I was listening to your interview with James. And first I have to say, James, uh, how he can be that articulate without a script is beyond me. I mean, he just sounded brilliant in your discussion. It just, it all sounded so thoughtful and so deep. Yeah. And I was so impressed by it on one level. And I'm thinking, well, why isn't, why isn't this really resonating with me in any way? Mm. And I was thinking, you know, it's, it's kind of the, the same uh, reaction I had with some of your, in some of your conversations with um, uh, Jurgen, which is, it's all very, um, 
uh, intellectual. Uh, it's very, um, it's just brilliant thinking, but it's not really the way I think about things. And I, I absolutely appreciate it and I can learn from it. But when I'm working with a client, it's just, well, how are we going to get this solved? And it's that very basic, and I think, again, it might come from a lot of my business background of, okay, we've got this problem, how are we going to solve it? I don't see helping a client solve a problem as being necessarily an art in any way. I'm not thinking about this in a scientific kind of way. What I'm doing is looking at the problem, and even though the problem might turn out to be to be very complex, uh, to require a very sort of nuanced touch in helping the client through it. But bottom line, we're, we're, we're just here to get some problems solved. So it is a more sort of tradesman-like uh, attitude, I, I think, that I bring to the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I really like that. Um, um, when, you, when you speak about the sort of tradesman-type attitude, um, I'm... I'm that and and you mention obviously there's there's some sort of business element involved in that you know I I myself have discussed um I'm often and, and you know I I'd love to see a study done on it um um but I've discussed often the the impact of somebody investing time and money into therapy you know um, um it's it, it it surely must influence. The, the results the outcomes you know the kind of expectation that fits in with it and the mindset that's gone into making that kind of investment compared to anything that would be free for example on um uh, of course there's likely to be exceptions but i you know i i i um i think there are some 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 really relevant mechanisms that exist within within that sort of tradesman like approach um, um, do you think that the, the, the tradesman-like approach, therefore, is completely devoid of science and art? Oh, absolutely not. I think it's, uh, I think it's very much informed by listening to conversations uh, like the ones that you had with Jurgen, with James, um, with uh, Igor mm. uh, as well. That, that one really, uh, that interview really stood out to me. So all that informs it. It's just, for me, uh, I, I hear the sort of enthusiasm and passion that someone like Jurgen or, Jor, uh, or James will bring to a conversation like that. And I'm always filtering, really, for what can I use? What, can, what am I going to hear that's going to help me with my next client? Where I hear, not just with those guys, but with other folks as well, just a lot more... Um, a lot more interest in discussing kind of the finer points and the sort of more philosophical concepts around it. And uh, if I think it's going to be useful in terms of client work, I'm interested. If it's not, yeah, I might have some degree of interest, but nowhere, I'm not going to be listening anywhere nearly as closely as if I would be if I think it's really got something that's going to help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I really get that. And one of the, one of the reasons... Um, one of the reasons that um, um, Jürgen originally introduced you to me, um, 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 one of the things that he said within his communication to me was, you know, I, I think you're, I think you're like Brian. You know, he's really, really got this rational take on it. And when I was, um, um, when I was, when I was emailing you, and we were, we were kind of exchanging some emails with regards to. Um, what we were going to discuss today, you know, certainly there was an air of that that came through. Um, but also this idea of 
doing what works rather than theorizing about what works too much also seemed seemed very interesting. Um, could could you expand upon that for the benefit of our listeners a little bit with regards to um, you know h- how do you go about doing that? How do you make the decision with regards to what is likely to work for your client? You know, I think a lot of it is informed by just plain experience. You know, listening to a person for a while, watching them, getting a sense of where they're coming from. Uh, and oftentimes just basically taking a guess. Oh, okay. I think this is something, this might be a useful direction to take the conversation in, start to kind of head down that road a little bit, see how the client responds. If it seems like they're responding, well, we'll probably go further down that road. If I get the sense that, uh, the client's not responding well, or it's just not, doesn't, doesn't seem to be resonating, we'll take it in a different direction. Uh, I'm, I'm very cheerful about uh, just finding what works and having a pretty good guess about it. Again, I think just informed by experience. And then if that, if that, if that doesn't work, well, do something else. And if that doesn't work, do something else um, until eventually, uh, most of the time, we'll be, able to find, we'll be able to find our way through together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a, there's a degree of tenacity um, um, required there, I think, but also, you know, yes. um, um, so, so, so with that, with that sort of, um, uh, with the, with the sort of background that you spoke about, you know, you, you've got a range of influences and so on. Um, um, where does that, where do you think that sort of rationality came from that sort of what, what I would consider to be quite a sober stance on things that you were speaking about with regards to I'm more interested in in what works with people um, I'm, and, and I'm more interested in what's what's likely to be most beneficial or profitable to the client as opposed to the kind of theory or philosophy that surrounds it um, um, where do you think where do you think that's that that's come from and how do you um, I mean, how does that sort of manifest itself, do you think, within your work? Uh, I think it comes from my father, my dad, <laughs> frankly, rather than any uh, later hypnosis influence. It's yeah. just always been in that sort of, okay, let's very straightforward, all right, there's a problem, let's figure out what needs to be done to solve it and, and do that and then move on as opposed to uh, getting more <clears throat> uh, heady about it, if you will. And again, not that there's anything wrong with folks who think at those levels, but I'm just, uh, my, all my background sort of has, I think, steered me towards having this, this kind of an attitude. Yeah. Uh, and having that attitude, well, then it's the case of, well, the more sort of approaches I have available to me, the more sort of tools in the toolbox, if you will, uh, the better the odds are that sooner or later, even if it turns out to be a client who has a problem that's more complex uh, or more different than anything I've seen before, the better the odds are that I'm going to be able to have some kind of an approach that's going to enable them to, to really help themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so um, um, would you say, and do you use hypnosis with everybody? No, definitely not. And no, so- there's, there's a lot of different approaches that I'll take with people. Yeah, yeah. And um, 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 how, how do people respond to that if they don't have hypnosis when they've sort of engaged Brian Mahoney, hypnotherapist of Boston Hypnosis? 
And and heck, well, no hypnosis happened today. I'm disappointed. Or, or do they uh, get disappointed? Well, yeah, and what I do is um, again, I uh, sort of frame. I'm framing it way up front, well before they're here in the office. Right. So usually, what I'll say is, you know, there's different types of approaches I take. A lot of the work involves hypnosis. A lot of it doesn't, um, and some of it can fall in between. And the reason for that is that I find that people can structure their issues in some very different ways. And I can have two people who can, can come in with an issue that appears to be identical on the surface, but the underlying structure to the issue is completely different. And usually I'll give them an example. I <clears throat> had a couple people come in probably, I don't know, three or, three or so years ago. And I always remember them because they came in within about a week of one another. And on the surface, they appeared to be identical. They were both senior level executives and they were both having panic attacks before they would go to uh, do presentations. The way I worked with each one of them was completely different. There was no crossover in, at all in terms of approach. One of them was, I believe, all hypnosis work. Uh, there was some underlying trauma there. Uh, she worked through it. It was just, you know, she did some really nice work for themselves first. Yeah. Another one, uh, we didn't do any hypnosis work at all. It was much more of a conscious, excuse me, uh, conscious thing that the guy was doing in terms of um, uh, some more Ellis type uh, masturbation, musts, have tos, shoulds, yeah. things like that. Um, and helping him realize that and helping him to uh, learn some approaches to think about things differently. And he got wonderful results for himself. Uh, so completely, completely different pro approaches. Uh, and they both solved their problem. And I'm pretty sure that if I flip-flopped those approaches and did the hypnosis with him and the other stuff with her, neither one of them would have got anywhere. So long way around of saying, I just find it's really important to tailor the approach to the way the client is doing the problem um, to get consistent results. Right, right. And so um, a lot of your assessment and a lot of your initial phone conversation, for example, will be about you wanting to understand the problem. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, I, and, 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 and what, yeah. Will, will you then explain that and conceptualize the problem to the client first? No. No. Right. I'll, I'll listen and then uh, just start to do some work and see how they respond. But as I'm listening, I'm thinking about, okay, what's, what's probably going to be the most helpful the soonest? And take things in that direction, see if it seems like it might be. And if it does, great. If not, uh, we'll take things in a different direction. Yeah, 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 I understand that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, um, you, you know what? I could, I could genuinely listen to this all day and, and speak in, in much more depth about this. Um, and, and perhaps you can come on to a future show um, and, and we can discuss this with, with some others, this particular point, because I think it makes for, 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 for really good and really interesting. I, I, think, I think the points you're making here are right up the alley of a lot of people that listen. Um, because I think a lot of times people think, well, you know, um, 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 perhaps I need to be as 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 eloquent with with my philosophy 
as as James um, um, or Jurgen or somebody like that. Um, and, and perhaps it would be quite refreshing for people to hear that, you know, using the skills that you've got, going at the problem and, um, you know, making problem solving a, a, a core component of what you do actually um, 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 could be could can just as easily be the way forward for you. I, I really think so. And I remember early on being somewhat intimidated watching uh, uh, videos of uh, Milton Erickson or watching Richard Bandler work, people like that, and just thinking, you know, boy, that looks really hard to be doing that. <laughs> and then finding out that, no, actually, you can help people quite ably without anywhere near that, that level of skill or sophistication. Uh, and I think it's it's great to have those skills, and I've done a, uh, put in a lot of time in developing those skills myself. But it wasn't necessary in order to to get help a lot of folks get the job done for themselves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm, I really appreciate that, Brian. Brian, thank you for, uh, for for being on Hypnosis Weekly and for giving so generously with your time and with uh, your expertise. Um, Brian Mahoney, thank you. Thank you, Adam. It's been my pleasure. Great discussion there. Um, On to this week's evidence-based hypnosis factoid of the week. And it's this. Self-hypnosis improves quality of life following coronary bypass surgery. Um, so this is a study entitled The Effects of Self-Hypnosis on Quality of Life Following Coronary Artery Bypass Surgery, Preliminary Results of a Prospective Randomized Trial. And the results demonstrated that patients undergoing self-hypnosis were significantly more relaxed than the control group. Trends towards improvement were also noted in depression, anger and fatigue. And the study demonstrates the beneficial effects of self-hypnosis relaxation techniques upon those um, having coronary surgery. It's a study by Ashton and colleagues uh, from 1995. This study also identifies endpoints and a study design that can be used to assess complementary medicine therapies. Um, so it's worth a look. Um, and results of the, the preliminary investigation are really encouraging and demonstrate a need for further well-controlled studies. And there's a link to the full study that can be found over at the uh, Hypnosis Weekly uh, website. So that's it for this week's 51st edition. I do have many more exciting guests that are welcome to Hypnosis Weekly in coming weeks too. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating and above all remaining friends. And to repeat, all the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website www.hypnosis-weekly.com My guest next time out is Melissa Tears. We'll be talking neuroplastic and neuroscience. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions, so do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website and I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, anywhere else. Really help us reach the hypnosis field. My thanks again to Brian Mahoney. My thanks to you for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. <laughs>